0: So Elena, please introduce yourself to the podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Elena Hardikov, and I'm an intuitive life and business coach for highly sensitive people. And I'm so glad to be here with you, Kirk.
0: Yeah. So I get a lot of questions about highly sensitive people. In fact, I was just talking about it with some of my supervisees yesterday. What could you tell us about highly sensitive people?
1: Being a highly sensitive person is essentially a personality trait. It's genetic, so it's not something you can opt in or opt out of. And it was uh, a term that was created by Dr. Elaine Aron. She is one of the key researchers when it comes to highly sensitive people. And she said highly sensitive people can be identified by four main characteristics, and she used the acronym DOES to uh, help people understand if they are indeed highly sensitive or not. So if you want maybe I can just share briefly what DOES stands for. So um, the D stands for depth of processing. So HSPs are the deep thinkers, so they can take any type of information, And sit with it for much longer than the average person would. So it's really chewing things over. And even um, an HSP like myself is not necessarily aware that they're doing that. But we take in our environment. We take in what other people say to us. And... It just takes us a lot of time to process and sift through uh, what we see, what we hear, what we feel. Um, So this is the first part of that trait, and this is probably the most pronounced part of that trait, I would say. And then the next one is O, and that stands for overstimulation. So because highly sensitive people have this ability to process the most minute details in great depth, what happens is that overwhelm is an HSP best friend because it's like having 20 tabs open in your computer at any given time. And so you can have like a computer meltdown or you can have a brain meltdown with just too many things going on in, in, in one go. So um, most HSPs will report that they feel easily overstimulated or overwhelmed um, simply because we take in um, so much information. And then the E stands for empathy and this is probably my personal favorite part of the sensitive trait um, is that we are very good at feeling other people's feelings we're very attuned intuitive um, and so this is i feel um probably the 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 part that most hsps enjoy the most Um, some of the other parts can be a bit more dicey but this is definitely something um that most HSPs will identify with. And then um, lastly it's our sensitivity to subtleties. So we're the type of people that can go into a room and say, ooh, that painting is just a little bit off, or uh, we can feel uh if the energy in a room is not quite right, or we can pick up on um on 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 just um sounds or smells that other people would notice like I had this funny example I stayed in a hotel room with a friend of mine and I walked in and I was like oh my god somebody smoked here and they were like I don't smell anything (laughs) it's a non-smoking room I'm like no no but I can still smell this so it's this ability to to almost tune into things that most people would not see or notice or or even care to mention so these are the four key markers of this personality trait
0: yeah, so that's interesting. So does D O E S? So let's go through these a little bit more in depth, if you will. So sure, I, I've I've talked with other experts before about this, and thought that I might qualify as well. Um, so one of the things that I remember from those previous conversations was that I'm really sensitive to a certain kind of clothing. And oh, yes. <laughs> since I was a young child, I can't stand wearing wool and I'm, I frequently will have to cut out tags from my shirts because it, I just can't stop thinking about the fact I can feel the tag. Or, uh, a, another thing is I can't wear, a, I'm wearing a watch right now, but I could pro, I can only wear this watch for probably, I don't know, like an hour before I have to take it off. <laughs> and, uh, I can wear my wedding ring pretty comfortably, but anything other than that, like a necklace or even a hat. Also, anyone in my class as a professor will attest to whenever I start to teach, I take off my shoes because I can't stand shoes being on my feet. Uh, I don't like the feeling of it. And uh, is that indicative of a highly sensitive person, potentially?
1: I'm very, You're my people, Kirk. <laughs> i've experienced all of these things myself and still do and it's um what my father always called the princess on the pea syndrome that yes you can feel that through 20 30 mattresses you could still pick up that pea right there so it's the same thing it's this this physical um attunement to things that most other people would never even feel or or care or be bothered by. So you're absolutely in great company. here. <laughs> I fully understand.
0: Yeah, a- another downside. I, so the way that I conceptualize it, the way I explain it to my students and supervisees is that essentially, we have a nervous system that is just much more ready to fire that it a little bit of sensation is amplified and there's right. a spectrum of people and it makes sense that there'd be a a spectrum that of genetics that people are born with dispositionally where some people have neurons that fire very easily and other people have neurons that fire normally and other people have s- neurons that fire in very uh not so readily and there's a lot of pros to that like I think intelligence and deep thinking, and the ability to uh, pick up on things that other people don't pick up on, like smells. Like one of the things that my my wife laughs at me is whenever we're in a restaurant and you can barely hear the music, I <laughs> immediately start uh, talking about the music. Um, <laughs> it, if I it, like, if I hate the music, I'm like, "Oh, why are they playing this kind of <laughs> dance music?" I hate that. And she's like, "I don't even hear the music." Or I'll start singing a song. And she's like, why are you singing a song? I'm like, well, that's what they're playing. And she's like, I can't even hear them. How do you hear it? Because all the noise, you know, anyway. So there's there's some pros. But the con, one of the cons, is being overwhelmed by emotions, having perhaps too much empathy at times, picking up on other people too much. But another thing, uh, and you tell me, is this... Uh, Over sensitivity and awareness of your body, which can be a good and a bad thing that oh yeah, when I feel a sensation in my body it uh, and it's scary for some reason I can't stop thinking about it and then you have increased health anxiety is that a thing?
1: That is a total thing um, I think because we can tune into everything we tune into our own bodies too so um, I, I've often been called a hypochondriac just because I can feel things very quickly but I've actually asked professionals. I wouldn't fall under that category but it's actually for me it's this ability to tune into my body to feel things and it's it's this awareness of subtleties that goes for your own body as much as it goes for the outer world so you will find most highly sensitive people are hyper aware of their bodily sensations at all times that also can be positive we can get clues about how we feel how if we're safe if we're not safe if this is a good environment to be in if somebody else is maybe not a safe person for us we can feel that in our body even before sometimes our mind can tell us so it has these positive sides but it can also sometimes be painful to have a body that is easily uh, aroused and especially if you want to go sleep if you want to go rest sometimes it's hard to create peace and quiet in your body as a highly sensitive person
0: <laughs> yeah uh, wow that's interesting and for children sometimes we call them gifted is that true
1: yes yeah that's yeah. M- often true yeah
0: because they are potentially better at school sometimes at a young age, but they also will struggle sometimes because of being overwhelmed and maybe bored a lot. Tell, tell me about what it's like to be a child in a typical American school being a highly sensitive person. What are the pros and cons there?
1: Um, I think it it depends a lot on the environment of the school and also the teachers, because the teachers are really um, the ones that will include HSP kids and make them feel like they're normal and okay, or they're the ones that might add to this kind of shaming narrative that the kid who cries more easily, or the kid that's more shy, or the kid that that you know needs downtime more than others is somehow wrong and needs to be um, kind of normalized and put put into the box like all the other kids and. A good teacher will have a deeper understanding of the different natures of their students and cater to that and include them and, and make them feel like they're okay and they're welcome. Like I remember when I was in school, I often needed to sit in the library in lunch break because it was too much for me. I couldn't like go to this massive cafeteria and have all these noises and smells and sounds. It's just too much for me. So I needed to retreat. And my teachers made me feel like that's okay. That's a good choice for me. And they didn't make me feel bad for doing that. So teachers can set the tone and the other kids pick up on the tone of the teacher. So if the teacher kind of makes it okay, the kids don't you know, shame you for that or tease you about it. But I also had teachers that were um, maybe less attuned to that and less aware. And then the other kids kind of jumped on the same bandwagon and be like, oh, you're strange. Ah, and so HSPs can be the outsiders sometimes. So I I had both experiences, um, being the outsider or feeling very accepted and normal.
0: Yeah, after doing an episode on this, Probably like 10 years ago, I, I'm thinking. We got a lot of emails from people saying as they listened to the episode that they would cry because for mm-hmm. the first time in their life, they felt they, like they understood what was different about them. And yes. that it wasn't something wrong with them, even though their whole life they've been told that they're overly sensitive, they are picky – They Mm -hmm. are a bother. They are dramatic, these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And what was really happening is that their nervous system was just cranked up to 11.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like living in Technicolor. Yeah. (laughs) All sorts of things going on all the time. And I think it's understandable sometimes that others don't understand what it would be like to be a highly sensitive person because it's maybe difficult to imagine what what it would be like if you're not an HSP that this osmosis with life how that can feel how how overwhelming that can be and how we then you know get on other people's nerves because we say the room is too cold can you turn down the ac or the light is too bright or something they're like you're so fussy or you're so difficult but really for us this is like really really hugely bothersome things <laughs> so it's it's hard to um communicate that um and and make other people understand it without thinking oh you're just quote-unquote difficult or hard to be around
0: right because for them they're thinking well i don't know it doesn't bother me or it's
1: like no big deal
0: right or (laughs) when something kind of bothers me i just i just don't pay attention to it why why are you focusing on it so much
1: yeah Yeah. how does this
0: relate to autism according to the research
1: yeah, according to the research, it is not directly linked, actually. So it's, it's of course, many people say it's, it's part of the spectrum, but it's, it's, it's a different um, category, if you will. So some, some people will think, oh, it's a continuation of um, being highly sensitive, but um, there's still a lot of research going into that. And um, I think, watch this space. I think there's still more to, to come in this um, area. But autism is, is considered something separate from um, what HSP is, which is sensory processing sensitivity.
0: Right. Yeah, I, the, according to my understanding of the literature and the brain research is that for some highly sensitive people, they will be misdiagnosed as being yes. mildly on the spectrum Yes. And for uh, and for some, it, it seems like it would be similar because certainly a lot of people who are autistic will have similar sensitivities to noise yes. and other kinds of things right. to be very tuned in on things. but right. uh, the mistake is that for highly sensitive people, they don't have uh, a whole set of experiences that autistic people will talk about. That's right so uh, it's a it's a different kind of a of a of a thing for sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so tell me more about that. The, the so you said D O E S does. So tell yes. me more about the deep part. I, I feel like I didn't really understand that part.
1: So it's it's really um, let's say you you take in some information, you read a book or you watch a movie, and you as an hsp you would get totally absorbed into that world like this is the typical thing where if you if you dive into something it swallows you and then even after the the movie's done you close the book whatever it is it stays with you it it stays in your system you can't just say okay cool i've seen this movie let's go for dinner let's go dancing you couldn't do that because it's still kind of in you and you need to process it and you need to understand it and you need to reflect on it so it's it's like basically when other people already like turn the page we're still on the page even though we might have read that page like a week ago we're still on it
0: <laughs> yeah interesting i i mean i'm certainly like that and people listen to the podcast can attest to that. Sometimes we'll talk about movies or TV shows and I'm just going on and on and on about all sorts (laughs) of things. Um, Is this also part of being a nerd? Because, you know, nerds get into things, right? Like they'll really get into Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones or something. Yes. Are HSPs more likely to be nerds?
1: That's an interesting one. I haven't heard that before, but I, I would venture to say that's probably true because you can get immensely passionate about things, but the um, depth of processing the interesting thing here is it's, you can't choose what you process. So it's not just these things that might even be pleasurable to process because you're into it and you love it and you have this kind of nerd-like fascination with something. It can be anything. It can be a comment from your neighbor that you're still ruminating three days later if if they misunderstood you or you misunderstood them and you, you still have it in the back of your mind or um, an email that you know you're supposed to send and you haven't sent it and it keeps coming. Oh, I need to... Oh, yeah, and what... Ooh, how will I formulate this? And it, it's kind of, it's, it stays in your system. It's like the, the I would say like non-HSPs have a system, uh, have maybe a system where things fall into bigger buckets and then they can close the bucket. And HSP has multitude of small buckets and everything needs to be processed intensely before you can close the bucket. So that's, that's where the steps comes from. And it's, I think it's just the way our, brain works. And many um, parts of our processing are not even in our like awareness. So often we process things and emotions that we we are not like cognitively aware of, but we feel maybe tired or exhausted. And we don't even know necessarily why, but it's because we have all of these buckets that are running in the background that are processing stuff from like a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, And this is this is where I think we don't have this volition of shutting it down and saying, okay, I don't want to process this thing anymore. Okay. I'm done with this. You can't do that.
0: Right. Interesting. So uh, before people sort of email in, I I just want to address some questions and maybe you can comment on this too, is that uh, uh, being a highly sensitive person, if we identify someone as such doesn't encapsulate their entire personality, of course.
1: That's right. (laughs) There are other
0: things. You can be extroverted, you can be introverted, you can be talkative, you could be quiet, you could be shy, you could be outgoing. That's right. You could be someone who experienced a lot of trauma growing up. You could you could Mm -hmm. be someone who has a lot of attachment issues. You you could so uh, having HSB qualities or what we would characterize as that disposition doesn't define the whole person so when we're trying to look at, at someone and say that's a highly sensitive person it's like well you, you have to get to know them a little better and because they might actually be uh, they might exhibit highly sensitive person traits because of some other reason um, they might be anxious or they might be traumatized yes. or they might be on the autism spectrum or something and so it's it's uh, there's a lot of you know, nuance there, but I'm pretty convinced, especially when I think about myself and when I hear other people that, you know, speak about, because the thing that really kicks it off uh, to me, or that that really convinces me is that the, the, you know, scratchy clothes and the tags on the and the, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, because that doesn't make any, that doesn't uh, seem to relate to all the other things, you know, like, um, or it, it very much seems to relate to other things like the, uh, the deep thinking, the empathy, the uh, just, you know, sensitivity to things that are going on around you, and the fact that you don't like wool clothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It really points toward a conceptualization of your nervous system is just overly sensitive. Yeah. Um, I was thinking the other day about, okay, if this is a spectrum, and some people are in the high spectrum, and then we have this Mm -hmm. this normal zone in the middle of the bell Mm -hmm. curve. Well, we would have, for example, low sensitive people, right? Low, you know, low sensitive people. Is there any research on that?
1: Uh, Yeah, Dr. Elaine Aaron has done some research on that. And she has developed a test Um, that you can find on her website uh, where you can um, see out of out of different categories how many um, how many applied to you yes or no and she's given this test to hundreds and hundreds of people i believe and some will come back with like they have zero of these traits so that would be the lowest possible sensitivity of course and then people like me who almost have maximum scores in all, uh, in all different categories. So she has, um, looked at that. Um, and I think she didn't do too much research around it, I believe, but, um, she she definitely categorized people into more highly sensitive and less or virtually not at all. <laughs> but, you know, it gets scary when people say they have zero empathy and zero compassion. I mean, this is more your, your domain. You would know more about that than I do. But I think if, if people would claim they have, um, you know, none of these responses, healthy responses to other people, then you might be probably looking at some different um, psychological profiles.
0: Yeah, before I forget, where where can they find the test? People
1: Um it's it's on Dr. Elaine Aaron's website, I believe it's hspperson.com, but I can um
0: hspperson you... hspperson.com, okay.
1: I think so. Right. I don't don't I'm not 100% sure, but if anybody types hsp test uh, on Google, it'll take you there.
0: Cool. Yeah, there are actually some theories, it's hard to know, that connect what I guess we might characterize as low sensitivity to what we call psychopathy or Mm -hmm. what the internet might call sociopathy, antisocial behavior. And in that, when you're, say, three years old and you are either within normal range or highly sensitive, one, you notice other people's reactions more easily. You know, or within mm-hmm. normal range, and so you will notice that you you did something that displeased them, or you did something that that they liked. You 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 pick up on that very quickly as, as a person when you're highly sensitive. When you're in normal range, you pick on that up on that normally. The other thing that you notice when you're within normal range or high is you notice your own emotional reactivity. You 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 notice mm-hmm. when you're afraid and when you're happy. Well, you could imagine that if someone had very low sensitivity to their own emotions and low sensitivity to other people's reactivity that they wouldn't notice when they are hurting other people. And that they That's wouldn't right. and they might not even care. They might not notice mm-hmm. they might not know. <laughs> no, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> right. And when we don't develop those important connections at the age of two, three, four years old Fast forward to the age of 40 years old, you might come across as very callous. You might notice that you don't have emotions that are very strong. And so it stands to reason that those things might be connected. Of course, I, I don't know the research. But the question I have for you is, I was thinking the other day was, when I was growing up, I I was a, a jock. I was a sports Guy, yeah, people oh. that knew me as a kid, they knew me as a football player, and that was my primary kind of thing. I I played all sports. That's it dominated my life. And there's a lot of conditioning, a lot of working out, and that I hated long term, long distance running. I just hated it. I was in track. I liked hundred yard dashes. Even four hundred yards would just drive me nuts. I I, <laughs> I by the time I got to the two hundred yard or 200 meter mark I was I was like oh I hate it's taking so long (laughs) and I would have friends that could run marathons and be fine and I you know I was in good shape it wasn't like I couldn't not do it I I was I worked out all the time I, I you know I was very strong and you know for for you know what I was going through anyway and I always and I started really wondering about my friends who are very good at long distance running and I would look to them I was like what is different about you and me like how <laughs> how do you do that cuz I can't I I I could do it cuz I I have the ability to do it you know I'm in shape but I can't mentally stand it like I just can't emotionally cope with even like a 5k and I came to the conclusion as a kid that because I, cause I looked at their general personality, and they were all kind of mellow, all those guys, the guys that would run long distance. And they were always just sort of even keeled and weren't very reactive to things in general. And I, I came to this conclusion that maybe if you're mellow, you don't notice how terrible long dis- <laughs> long distance running is. And if you're highly sensitive, you really notice how terrible long distance running is. Uh, I don't know. there's just a. I'm just throwing that out there as a hypothesis. Any ideas about that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, this falls into what most HSPs would call like the boredom trap. Like HSPs get really easily bored by repetitive things or monotonous things. <laughs> so, so this I would think would fall well into that category. Um, and so the difficulty for a highly sensitive person is when when there's there's not a lot of stimuli. Bizarrely, because you think this is maybe the most relaxing thing for a highly sensitive person, but it also, if we don't get stimuli, then we also feel like something's wrong. Like we we we, we want to stay in this osmosis, um, and so maybe when it gets too monotonous or too repetitive, it gets hard. And that's also why people um, usually pick like professions that are more creative or that are more um, you know challenging and they cannot really do the routine office jobs because like a HSP is they're like, oh my god, I can't do the same thing every day or I can't, you know, just just have this nine to five same thing, same story every day. Like a groundhog day scenario is is an HSP's nightmare.
0: Yeah, well that's interesting. I, I never th- connected those things but that is a a big theme in my life is you know the reason why i became a therapist was because i became an adult and started working 9 to 5 8 to 5 and immediately just could not stand it you know working in an office <laughs> and just doing the same thing every day uh, i remember just thinking oh, when's lunch you know and 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 just hating it and i thought well maybe being a therapist would be stimulating. And it was, you know, it was, it was mm-hmm. way more interesting and way more challenging and way more chaotic, really. Uh, uh So that's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, so what do you t- tell, because, you know, for me, I feel like I adjusted to being a highly sensitive person pretty well, I think, p- p- partly because my parents were, good to me and I wasn't traumatized and and I perhaps had the self-esteem to uh, tailor my life towards my highly sensitive nature. I, when I didn't like something, I felt like I had enough support around me to change my life and to assert my, you know, desires on the world. I feel like a lot of people were raised in a way where they weren't allowed to do that. They were shamed for it or they felt very much like there was something broken about them. And now they're an adult and they're listening right now. And Mm -hmm. how do you help people in those situations?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the childhood part, because I would say that's the pivotal part and how, well, an HSP adjusts to life and enjoys life also. So I, I myself, like you, was very fortunate to grow up with parents who nurtured me and who didn't make me wrong for being different. For example, my brother is not highly sensitive, so they had two very different kids on their hands, and they could differentiate between our needs, and they didn't try to make us the same. And And they understood it, even though in those days, you know, there was nobody talking about highly sensitive kids. That wasn't a thing. So my my parents just thought that our kid is a bit special. (laughs) But it was okay, it wasn't meant in a way that made me feel wrong. But I know from working with so many HSPs that, unfortunately, this is, this is the rarity to have a childhood where your sensitivity is honored and treasured. Most of the people I've worked with, they tell me stories of of great grief of not being understood, being made wrong, um, and not just at home, also in school. And always this, like, something is is damaged about me. I can't function like other people. And there's this deep, almost societal imprint that says sensitivity is a weakness. And if you are sensitive, then you better fix it or you mask it or you pretend you're not sensitive. And this is um, a coping skill I've seen most HSPs go into is it's like denial of who you really are, and trying to do life like other people. And inside, you feel totally lonely, you feel miserable, you don't feel great about life, you don't have any energy, um, and you withdraw, and this can lead then to a lot of anxiety. And so, um, it's interesting, there is actually research about anxiety in highly sensitive people. Most would think and it would make sense to assume a highly sensitive person is automatically more prone to anxiety but that is actually not true as per the research that has been done. So if a highly sensitive kid had a good like fairly good stable childhood they're actually less likely to develop anxiety than somebody who's not highly sensitive who had an equally equally good childhood. But If you had a difficult or traumatic childhood, then um, the chances of being anxious in in later life dramatically increase. And I think what you can do for yourself as a highly sensitive person is really get to know your own needs and don't make yourself wrong for um, what you discover about yourself and don't push it down. Don't try to be like other people. Really understand your trait and manage yourself accordingly, create an environment where you can thrive. So many um, sensitives, they start out in a corporate career and it nearly kills them because they cannot function in, um, you know, big offices that are super noisy and bright and sounds and smells and this is, they go crazy. And then they realize, oh, this, I can't thrive here but I could maybe thrive as a creative entrepreneur in something. I could maybe do my own business. I could set my own rules. I could get up when I want to. I can have the temperature in the room the way I like it or whatever it is. So it's about really understanding your trait and then trying over time to create a life where you can thrive with your traits versus feeling held back or or pushed down um, by what you perceive as your maybe awkward difference.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So helping people to feel entitled or, you know, a good entitlement to tailoring their life to their own sensitivities and uh, ceasing to shame themselves and try to fit themselves into a box that they will never fit. Uh, That, that's an important part too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing some research that for people that are highly sensitive that depending on their their childhood it'll they're much more extreme so if they're traumatized they will react much more strongly to that trauma and if if they are raised well then they'll respond much more strongly to being raised well so so it's not that they're more sensitive to trauma you know they're they're more likely to to experience the bad effects of development they're just more exaggerated because they're just they're you know, internalizing what's happening around them at at a higher rate, which, which makes a lot of sense. You know, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking of other things that uh, for myself, like <laughs> one of the things that I will, uh, I, I've often shamed myself a little bit for was at restaurants, I notice the chairs that they will have, and because some restaurants will have cushiony chairs, and some restaurants will have <laughs> just like flat wooden or metal chairs, and I can't stand sitting for a long period of time on a on a hard metal chair. And I mm-hmm. and I look around restaurants, and I just notice everyone else just seems to be fine with it, and I'm like. Yes. It would have been twenty dollars more to have every chair have you know a <laughs> cushion on it, and I just I, I, and it I, I, and I used to do a lot of Yelp reviewing, and I, I would always review the chairs. I'd be like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that popped into my mind was when uh, podcasts first started to come out. You know, ten, fifteen years ago, I immediately took to it because I could uh get rid of my boredom if i was mm-hmm. doing the laundry or if i was mowing the lawn or if i was standing in line at the grocery store i now had this solution which is i could listen to podcasts mm-hmm. and then i loved podcasts so much i started my own 12 years ago <laughs> so <laughs> I, and one of the things that people will make fun of me for is i am constantly walking around with headphones Because I I hate just I don't even like walking to the mailbox uh, (laughs) without listening to something like I I, I just you know, and one of the ways that we will shame this is like, well, you're you're trying to escape like you can't cope with uh, Mm -hmm. just your own thoughts. And I I never really thought that that was true, because I actually really like my own thoughts in a lot of ways and that just never felt accurate to me that I was running from something. It was more that I thought, well, if I'm going to walk to the mailbox, I might as well get some education along the way. Yeah, sure, it's only yeah. like 3 minutes of education, but but that's 3 minutes of education that I wouldn't get otherwise. So, I'm going to I'm going to listen to podcasts as I go to and from the mailbox. Is that indicative of highly sensitive people?
1: You know, it makes me smile because um I I always get told off by all of my family and friends for walking around with headphones absolutely everywhere. (laughs) And I constantly listen to either podcasts or music. And... This is this thing where I said, you know, this this ultimate silence. Although that would sound like the HSP paradise, it's not really because we thrive on our processing, on 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 diving deep. And I would even say that this encourages our thinking process. Those that tell us you can't stick with your own thoughts, I would say no. This is inspires my thoughts. This is, this you know when I hear something, can even be music or it could be a podcast or anything. Then I start to connect the dots in my head and then like, oh, oh, then I have like a parallel conversation going on in my head about, oh, this could mean this for me. And oh, I can learn this. And oh, look, this is a great insight I can use. So it's it's not like it, it stops us from thinking. I would say it deepens our thinking.
0: Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's one difference about me uh, to people around me is that, I am just constantly, and for for years. Uh, in fact, just to give you a, a statistic, so my my phone app keeps track of how many hours I listen to podcasts, and you can, you can actually look like
1: you oh, know, wow. for for the year. <laughs> I, didn't, of, I didn't even know.
0: <laughs> yeah, for for the year of 2019, you know how many hours, and I figured out uh, this was a couple years ago when I probably was listening to more podcasts, but probably similar today. That I spent a third of my life listening to podcasts. So (laughs) a a third of my life I was sleeping, a third of my life I was listening to podcasts. I mean, so that meant that, you know, that was all the little things like going to the mailbox, doing laundry, Mm -hmm. uh, driving Mm -hmm. in my car, uh, just, uh, I don't know, vacuuming or something. Because I'm always like, hey, two birds with one stone. I'll vacuum the house and I'll, I'll learn a few things and it amounted to literally a third of my life with headphones on listening to podcasts.
1: I'm I'm really not surprised because I've yet to meet an HSP who doesn't enjoy that. I think we enjoy also learning a lot and and discovering new things and most HSPs and this is anecdotal but we we love um processing new information whatever that new information is. So we like and discovering people. We like understanding things. We like going deep into research, theories, whatever it is, or, or or even in music or art or nature. We would love to immerse ourselves and take it all in and discover it. And we enjoy this. I would say this is like the happy place of a nature's piece when they can take in things that they choose, right? This is, I think, a big factors like you choose this the source of uh, stimulus for yourself um, and then you can enjoy it I think where you maybe uh, are forced to uh, get stimuli you don't want that's much tougher like I don't know how how you are but for example and it's typical for many HSPs we can't stand watching like super violent movies or sometimes even watching the news if it's particularly violent like this this is, this is painful, like this would also be information, but this is something most HSPs will be like, don't show me that or cover my eyes, tell me when I can look again kind of thing. Um, I don't know if you have that, but I know I have that in many other times yeah. too.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think I'm a little more acclimated because of just my preferences for, for art, but uh, but yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I guess I'll say that I'm I notice when I'm being affected more, than other people seem to and mm-hmm. I also will uh, and I think older I get the more kind of sensitive I'm getting does it change with age do people do how does age play into HSP
1: I I don't I'm not aware of any research about that I can only share anecdotally what I've witnessed and I have a personal story because my father is highly sensitive yeah. and so by the way for any men listening it's 50/50 men and women uh, are HSP and and most people somehow think it's a more feminine uh. trait or something but it's it's actually 50/50 um and so my my dad um with time and with age has become so much more sensitive than he used to be and it's mm. it's really um, you know when you love somebody and you know them and you, you you predict their behavior by what you know and then you see them shifting. And so he's now um, at a point where he can look at a butterfly and be so moved by the beauty of the butterfly, he will cry and just say, this butterfly is just, it moved me so much. It's so beautiful. And he will he will hear a song on the radio and he will melt into that song and he will love it. And it's this this um i don't know if it's age that takes away these filters maybe it has to do with masculinity and the filters that are in place there and maybe now he can just be free to just share his emotions but um yeah this is the only personal example i have but he's definitely changed with age
0: that's interesting yeah my mom is like that i wonder if i wonder if i got it from my mom that's interesting what about food and hsp people
1: food, well, we are considered the picky eaters. <laughs> and we either have very pronounced taste, like I, for example, I, I love chilies. I, I, you know, I don't know, like I'm German. So, you know, I shouldn't really be loving chilies. I can, I can enjoy very strong sensations, like super spicy or super sweet. I, I would like that. Um, and bland food bores me. So it's a little bit like with other stimuli: is the blandness is boring and too monotonous, and and it's more about the variety and trying different things. And so so um, this is how it is for me in my life. I I love food, and I know many HSPs have a very strong connection also to food. Um, maybe it's also re- directly related to our bodies. We can feel also how our body responds to what we eat. And we're very, I would say, intuitive eaters, probably. We're, we feel our food and we care about our food. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just thinking for myself is that compared to other people around me, I am very excited about food. Uh, yeah. And my mom is too, when I think about that. That uh, it's, I find that other people are just like, yeah, okay, let's eat. You know, let's just, let's just have a meal. And (laughs) every day for me, it's, it's just like, okay, what is the next meal going to be? It's gotta be. What can I
1: discover and eat? Yeah. And you know, this is, this is so true. And another thing, I don't know if you have that too, but because, um, I, I have such a strong sensory response, response, to food, I'm always the one, my friends ask, is this off? Can you just smell this milk? Is it still okay? Is it because I <laughs> I can just do like a small, oh, no, it's it's already off. And for them, they couldn't even taste it yet, but I would already taste it. So it's also um, almost a sensitivity to to food. And, and bizarrely, I even have this thing that when I eat something, I can be like, oh, it tastes too strong, like a fish that's maybe like a shade... Too old or something. Even if it's still okay, I'd be like, Mm, it tastes too much like fish now." It's too much like this. I could, I can um, taste things that again nobody else could. Like I could smell smoke in a room that you know has been aired, and you know it's yeah, a week yeah. later. It's the same thing for food.
0: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, the pea and, and the princess. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, a lot. All these things are sort of coming to mind. Like um, one of the experiences I had as a Um, therapist was I I, I did some in-home therapy for a while and some people uh, my dog is barking if you can hear him but um, the uh, what I would find is that some people in their houses they would have their TV on all the time and as a therapist I would come into the house and I'd be doing a a session and I could not function with the TV on I, I, Mm -hmm. I just and I would ask people could you know could you please turn off your TV because yeah. I can't even though I wasn't looking at it I, I just sensed that something was happening out of my peripheral vision and I couldn't function so mm-hmm. I'm guessing you know that that's also and they didn't seem to be bothered by it at all it didn't interfere at all with them you know it's just yeah. kind of interesting um but I have another question and I don't know if you know the researcher I've experienced this with people but what about like you know matching up with people so in a romantic relationship any thoughts on that
1: yeah that's that's an interesting one so um highly sensitive people there's actually a book uh hsp person in love i believe it's also by dr elaine aaron and it speaks about how um highly sensitive people uh choose their partners and (laughs) dr aaron recommends and so do i that it's actually easier to be with a non-HSP partner because they can kind of protect you and take care of the things that are overwhelming or difficult for a highly sensitive person to do. So often two highly sensitive people don't necessarily attract or go that well together or if they, if you get two highly sensitive people that fall in love, you will have one that is more pronounced uh, in their sensitivity and the other that is less so. And I don't know if that's a case of natural uh, opposites attract or or just different energies coming together. But um, I've found in my own relationships over the years that it's been um, um, easier to be with non-highly sensitive uh, men for me, but that have a sensitive side to them that is not necessarily hsp but that have this ability to tune in and understand me enough so that we that we have a common base, of course. And um, anecdotally, I would say many HSPs are anxiously attached. So um, I think this is um, an interesting thing. And of course, then there's often an attraction between the more avoidant um, and the anxiously attached. So that's also a pattern that um, I've seen working with many HSPs and, and in my own life, too.
0: Interesting. Yeah, tell me about what... So what do, what is your work with people? So you're a coach, right?
1: Yeah, so basically for me, I only discovered high sensitivity in my mid-20s. I had no idea. I just thought I'm just a bit different than other people. I didn't conceptualize it. I didn't even know it was a thing. Um, and then when I read... Elaine Aaron's book. I was like, oh my god, there are other people like me. It was a, a revelation to me to understand that. And I've always been an entrepreneur, and so I, I had my skincare business at the time. And I, I thought this is fascinating. I, I learned so much about running a business as as a sensitive person and that was overwhelming to me in many ways because as much as a business affords you this flexibility I mentioned earlier to create your life the way you like it you can do your goldilocks business and have it just so for yourself but it also exposes you to much more pressure than maybe just knowing you have a job and at the end of the day you can go home and that's that like as an entrepreneur you you have to juggle a lot of things and you have to keep a lot of balls in the air and So what happened, I sold my skincare business and I thought, wow, I learned so much about how to not only survive as an entrepreneur, but thrive as an entrepreneur who is highly sensitive. And that's when I uh, decided I wanted to uh, coach highly sensitive entrepreneurs specifically on their journey because I knew all the highs and lows that come with this trait. And in that context... I decided I want to do a TEDx talk about this. I, I thought, I want to give sensitivity better PR in the world. So I thought, what could I do? Um, and I had no idea how I would make this happen, but I just thought, you know, maybe an opportunity will present itself. And, you know, sometimes when you set your mind to something, it materializes, and, and it did. And I, um, I thought, you know, I'm, I see myself... As an ambassador for highly sensitive people, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a researcher. I am a highly sensitive person that has a great interest in the trait, research the trait a lot, and have my own life experience. And and as as that, I took to the stage, um, and I I kind of hope that people would see it like as, as just somebody who wants to talk to other people who might feel the same way and normalize this and if you realize that 20 percent of the world population is highly sensitive and I thought you know this is something great for us to you know connect around and I don't pretend to know everything about this trait I'm actually for a fact I'm certain I don't but I I just had this passion to connect with others who feel and live like i do and and make them feel like they're valued and they're needed in this world
0: yeah well I think you're a fantastic ambassador uh, the best ambassador I've experienced for hsps <laughs> so uh, I thank you I wish you well on your ambassadorship I think you're spreading the word and i'm quite positive that a lot of people are quite, I don't know, healed by the notion that there's not something wrong with them, and that there is a path forward, which is great. Where can people find you if they want to find you?
1: Um, They can find me on uh, my website, elinahardikahoff.com. So this is horrendously long and difficult so maybe you can drop it in the show notes or somewhere but it's essentially my name elenaherdegarhoff.com and kirk i just wanted to say something about your animals because i know you love your animals and so do i i love animals and i just wanted to share that there are 100 species that have already been kind of researched that have high sensitive traits so they have the same about balance 20 percent of like some birds, some monkeys, some some dogs, some fish um, have a highly sensitive trait. So they, you have an equal kind of balancing act in um, in the animal kingdom. And I just thought it's fascinating that this trait is not just a human trait, but uh, that it extends to animals too.
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense that every species would have a range, and yeah. that that range would be suited to survival, right? Yeah. That for koalas, for example, or or sloths, perhaps they don't have super high sensitivity. But chihuahuas and lemurs, you know, they're probably just more sensitive to what's hummingbirds or something, more sensitive okay. to what it kind of, you know, it all kind of makes sense that, of course, us as animals would be on some range that was important. You know, you're on the mm-hmm. African Serengeti 100,000 years ago, and those people who were too too sensitive were reacting too much and those who weren't sensitive enough weren't reactive enough to their environment and so you know there's there's sort of a helpful range that every tribe would kind of have a bell curve around that helps the tribe survive it you know it makes a lot of sense it's interesting yeah yeah i'll definitely put your uh website in the in the show notes and um thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh i i'm glad you're out there spreading the word it's it's really great
1: Thank you, Kirk, so much. And I have to say, it's a huge pleasure for me to connect to you, Kirk. I am I, um, no doubt—I mean, many people will claim this, but I will claim myself as your number one fan. <laughs> I watch all of your episodes religiously, and um, you are—you are the—the you are, um, the podcast that I have in my ears most days. So <laughs> the hours that I would find in my own counter would mainly be attributed to you. <laughs>
0: That's funny. All right, everyone out there, please take care of yourself and take care of others because we all deserve it. We really, really do.